Good afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. Welcome into the 573 report here on powermazoo.com. We will get shortly to talking about Missouri football, the second biggest upset of the week in Mizzou sports. We get to talk to Connor Bazelak and Brady Cook at media session this afternoon. The biggest upset will talk a little bit about that as well but first want to make sure that you guys remember um, which you should based on the big logo to my left right now that this show is brought to you every single week by 573Ts they are online at 573Ts.com a few weeks ago I believe it was after the Tennessee football game they debuted a uh, I'm sad t-shirt if you're a fan of Missouri basketball you might want to go buy that they also sell some you know, gear for uh, locales around the around the state. You can get some St. Louis gear, some Columbia gear, some Kansas City gear that might come in handy for you guys. I'm not sure that they have the UMKC Kansas City gear, but they do have Kansas City gear. So whatever you want from 573Ts, you can check them out. They do have a lot of Mizzou stuff, a lot of uh, Eli Drinkwitz branded stuff, things like that as well. We encourage you to check them out either at 573Ts.com or in Alley A between 9th and 10th Street in downtown Kansas or downtown Columbia. Sorry, I got Kansas City on the mind. Um, Kansas City's the story of the week. Uh, Fighting ruse, Mitch. Uh, hell of a basketball team, apparently. Yeah, that was something. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not so much that Missouri lost because it, it, that's never a good loss. But teams lose by games every year. It does happen. I mean, they got blown off their home floor. It was not close, not at all. I mean, UMKC led by as many as 22, won by 14, led for 38, 40 minutes. Uh, it, it was it was just a beatdown. And, you know, it's it's just, it's not, obviously it goes without saying, it's about the worst thing that could happen for this basketball program in this season because it just absolutely torpedoes any sort of momentum or chance you have of, playing for anything significant this season before most people even realize the season is happening. I mean, like I've heard from several people who are like, wait, did Mizzou lose to UMKC the other night? Oh, and I didn't even know that game was happening. That's terrible. Like that just kind of encapsulates, you know, early season basketball, like doesn't really mean anything to win these games, but losing them can just kind of kill you. And uh, that's where we are. Yeah, I was in the uh, I was in the building seven years and a day prior when uh, the Kim Anderson I think it was about two and a half weeks after uh, Kim Anderson came out of a coffin. It actually yeah. may have been before. I don't know. But that was like my favorite Mizzou basketball moment in the last eight years. But um, I, but they lost to UMKC 69-61. And legitimately, at that point, pretty much every Missouri basketball fan said, oh, this ain't going to work. You know. Now, the difference was, like you said, that game was a three-point game in the second half. I think I texted you with, I don't know, like 17 minutes left in the second half, and I said, call it, are they going to lose? And you said, yeah, and it just continued to get worse. Like, I actually thought at halftime, okay, this is really bad, but Missouri's going to win this game. And then the second half, about six minutes in, you just kind of understood, oh, there's no chance. Like, they are – and I don't want to say they're not the better team because I think – over the course of the season, like if they played UMKC 10 times, they would probably win eight or nine of them. That just happened to be one of those nights. So I don't think that necessarily has to kill the program or anything like that. But I, it, like you can't 
be I mean, we were there I we were there three nights or something like that, a few nights before that, six nights before that, when you looked at the student section and said, Oh hey, they're buying in. Like people care. Conzo went on like a two minute soliloquy at Media Day before the season started about how hey, we need you to show up, regardless of who we're playing, regardless of what's going on. Like, we need you to show up. None of that's happening now. Like, you can't bang that drum and then do what they did on two, on Monday night. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Just like I said, kills any sort of energy or momentum you have before the season even gets going. And so, yeah, it, you know, it, it's one of those things. Like, it, it's hard because it's you want to like do the loss justice and point out like, this is a, a terrible, terrible loss. I mean, not just losing to UMKC, but losing badly, having UMKC control the whole game. But you also, it, you know, it's hard not to, it, it's hard not to overreact and say like, Oh, okay. You know, every, everyone's getting fired. It's all done. We're blowing it all up because that's just not realistic in the near term. Uh, I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, I, who knows what's going to happen after this season. We, we, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about the contract situation, but like, it's not happening to, like anytime soon. So, you know, and like, I'm sure this team is going to get better, but it's also, I, I think it's one of those things that it's just, people aren't going to forget. And I think that's probably justified. Like it's going to, it's going to follow this coach and, and this team at a minimum for the rest of the season and probably for the rest of his time here. And, and that, like you said, that's not unfair. I mean, that is yeah. the type of loss that you just don't really get rid of. Um, yeah. And, you know, like part of me, I, I we will be exhausted over the next three months with the pendulum, right? Of every time they lose, it's well, can we fire this guy yet? And every time they win, it's going to be oh, maybe they figured it out. You know, it, neither of those things is really true. And I'm not super interested in that discussion, but I understand we're going to have that discussion thirty more times this year. I, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's going to happen. That's the nature of what we do. That's the nature of the internet. That's the nature of fans in 2021. So I'm not particularly interested in talking about Conzo's job security because he is the coach at a bare minimum through the rest of this year. And if I was a betting man, probably next year as well. But I, I'm not so interested in that. I think it's more important to talk about, you know, where they're at and how they got here. And I, there's two sides to this. First of all, none of what we're about to talk about excuses getting blown off the floor by UMKC. That shouldn't have happened regardless of what's gone on. But at the same time, I ran it down on our message board a couple days ago. There have been five scholarships awarded in three years that literally the day they happened, the first reaction, not just from fans, but from you and me was, hang on, I, I don't understand what I'm missing here. And in the end, it kind of turned out we really weren't missing anything. I mean, if you had even one foot, you don't have to have two feet planted in reality, but if you had one foot planted in reality at the beginning of this year, the best you were hoping for is like a 500-ish type season. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, a few things. First of all, I, I totally get that, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of people who are just, they've decided they're done with this coach and this team and they, every single thing he does from now on is going to be wrong. And like, you know, we're going to have like a billion people bring up like, see, this is what he does wrong. This is what, this is why he needs to get fired. And like, 
whatever. I, I get that's going to happen. I wish it didn't. But I, I think that in reality, and also, like, yes, everything did go wrong against UMKC. Like, I'm going to kind of defend Kanza's coaching here in a second. But, it, like, clearly coaching plays a role in losing to UMKC. It's like we were saying with the Mizzou football defense earlier this season. It's not just talent when they're last in the country because their talent isn't last. But, uh, yeah, the clear issue to me is just the talent on the roster. It's just the recruiting. I mean, like, I've seen a lot of people say he can't develop players. Like, Jordan Geist got a lot better at Mizzou. Reed Nico got a lot better at Mizzou. Um, you know, Xavier Pinson got better over his the course of his time here. Jeremiah Tillman got a lot better over the course of his time here. The problem is, like, some of those guys I mentioned, not necessarily Jeremiah Tillman, but some of those guys I mentioned probably shouldn't have been playing a ton of minutes at Mizzou, and they were because there wasn't there wasn't the high-level talent that you need to succeed in, in college basketball right now. And... You know, you can go the, you know, three and four year kind of development route to an extent, but I don't think you can try to have that be everything. I think you you got to get a few guys who are able to come in and make a difference right away or who, you know, obviously stick around for those three and four years. That's been a little bit of a problem as well. So, yeah, like I just, uh, you know, I, I am firmly in the camp of if and when, you know, this thing it ends for for Conzo Barton. The biggest factor will be the recruiting. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that because that's ninety percent of college basketball. To be honest, right. is do you have the guys? Like, look, X's and O's, and when you call timeout and stuff. Sure, that kind of matters, but like, do we really think Bill Self knows a bunch of plays that Conzo Martin doesn't know? <laughs> No, he has better players. He's a better recruiter. He recruits to a place that's easier to recruit to, but he is also a better recruiter. That is undeniable. Um, so I I want to make two points here. And, and um, it, the first is, like, it's going to be very unpopular because it's just a middle-of-the-road take, which is not, like, you're not supposed to do that, right? We're either supposed to fire him today or say that you're an idiot if you want him fired. But I honestly think what he has done here through four years is exactly what he was hired to do and exactly what you should have expected him to do, which he has stabilized a program that was a complete and utter dumpster fire. And also... Whether the guy who hired him at the time thought he could do it or not, there was no reason when he got hired to expect there to be a level beyond what we saw last year. Like, last year was kind of, that was a Conzo Martin team. That was, hey, his track record tells me once every two or three years, he's going to make the tournament with a team that, like, maybe they'll win a game, maybe they won't, but whatever. They're not a threat to to really go super deep, but he's going to make the tournament. It's a high floor, and it's a low ceiling. When he took over, if you had told people in year four, you're going to be in the NCAA tournament as an eight seed, 100% of people would have said, thank God. Like, we can't even see the NCAA tournament from where we're at. I'm good with that. But once they got there, then you want another level. And the problem is, immediately after you get there, it's, okay, well, we just blew all that up. That's all gone. We're going to start all over again. And then, where are we at here? So, like, it, I, I compared this. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today. I compared it in 2012 
you know, the Chiefs were 2-14. and 14. I was actually mad they won those two games because I said, no, look, I know they're trash. They can't win anything that matters. So I want them to go 0-16 and get the number one pick. They ended up with the number one pick and took a offensive lineman. That's a, beyond the point. But, but my point is, like, just kind of being there is no good. And Conzo has done enough to get them to average to above average. And that's that's really good from where they came from, but fans want more than that. And I don't know if it, like it, he hasn't done nearly enough to talk about his job being in jeopardy, right? Like he's been way too good to get fired, but he hasn't been good enough to get people really excited. And in some ways, that's like the worst place to be. Yeah, for sure. And, and like you know, I, I mean, just not excited leads to, you know, the talk about, um, you know, from fans, not realistic necessarily all the time. I know right now is a little different, but like coming into the season, the fans who maybe wanted, wanted to move on from con. So I, I think it's just a product of being like, ah, you know, like uh, I'm kind of bored. Let's, let's mix it up. Excite me, do something different. And like, I, I get that. Like, you know, as a, a casual fan, like I know we've talked about it before, like with the Broncos, I'm like, uh, like whatever, another 500 season. No, like either, either be really good or be really bad and try to bring in a new quarterback. And like, I don't know, maybe he'll be bad, but at least it's different. So, yeah, like I, I sort of get it. But yes, like I, I do think that, you know, A, this is kind of who Konzo has, has always been. He's never been much of a recruiter. There was kind of that perception out there. But, you know, you, you kind of broke it down. He's he's always kind of thrived on the under the radar guys with the occasional, you know, five star with a, a you know, a, a tie to the program or something like that. Um, he's always been, you know, a, a, a high floor, low ceiling type guy. And like, yeah, he made a run in the tournament with, with Tennessee to the Swiss team like that. That could have happened, you know, like at Mizzou, this is his first year or, or, uh, last year, even like probably not Swiss 16 last year. Cause they were in Gonzaga street and like the NCAA tournament's a crapshoot, but like none of those teams were ever one anyone was looking at and saying like, Oh, they could make a final four run. So yeah, like, um, you know, I, I think the program is definitely in a better place than it was four years ago. That's inarguable. I mean, anything, you know, you see this past week is just, you know, emotion and hyperbole. And again, I get it. That loss was terrible. No take is out of bounds coming out of it, but like, it's not Kim Anderson bad. That's just not realistic. I'm also sure that this team will get better as the season goes along. It's a bunch of new guys, but you, I mean, you just, you can't start at this point. You can't, you, because like, again, you can't get anyone excited and you're not playing for the tournament, even remotely you know you're not playing for rel you're not going to be relevant so it's just kind of feels like a wasted year yeah it and here is it, to me here's the bigger concern is 11 of the 12 guys on this team are theoretically coming back next year right like this year was all we knew this year was a step back there was zero question about that but what you have to see out of this year is enough to give you hope that this is a tournament team next year. And I'm not saying, look, there's 30 games left. We could see that at some point. But my point is, the only guy we know isn't coming back on this team is frankly their best player right now in Javon Pickett, right? And so, so if we get to the end of this year and it's like 12 and 20, which I don't think is out of the question after losing to UMKC, then you're looking at next year and going, so we're just going to bring all these dudes back and I guess they're just going to magically get better? Like, I don't know. Um, and I think part of the frustration, and I want to be clear, like, I would probably have done self-harm if it was my job to coach Xavier Pinson. Like, I 
I want to be very clear about that. I don't think Trey Jackson is going to be an All-American or Parker Brown is the answer to this team's problems. But the roster we have now is in large part because there were a bunch of guys last year that, or the last couple years that it was like, well, we, we can't deal with this. Well, and you brought in a bunch of new guys and I, I don't know if they're worse, but I don't know if they're any better. Like I sure thought that team could have used Xavier Pinson on Monday night. Oh, absolutely. It could have. And yeah, like I, I really, I don't want to put, I, I can't put all the blame on Conso for the Xavier Pinson thing. Frankly, I, I actually think like he he's done his own kind of, you know, self image and, and, you know, opinion in the fan base harm by not going on the offensive a little more and talking a little bit more about his experience with Xavier Pinson, which is fine. That's part of him taking the high and, road and other players, by the way, that, but not a lot would. Um, but yeah, like that just, not a lot of coaches would have probably even had Pinson around for three years. I think he, you know, he was just going to go to a second school at some point, almost certainly. Um, the Trey Jackson one hurts, I think that uh, the most, but I think that's also the case of like, I don't know, like, what are you going to do? Play him before you, either you play him before he's ready and, and risk losing, you know, the games when in that season or risk a guy leaving. Like it, it's hard because either way, you you know, maybe you, if you say you play a guy who hasn't earned it in practice, the rest of the team, you know, other people might leave. I'm not trying to totally defend him because like I mentioned before, part of the problem, if you're going to recruit guys who aren't, you know, quick impact type players is you need to develop them over the course of three to four years. And for that to happen, obviously they have to have to stay. And so, you know, the, some of the attrition has been an issue. I just think, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I, I can't get totally on board with the take of like, Oh man, if Parker Brown hadn't left, like all the problems would have been solved. Like I, I just, I think the issue is, is that the talent was never, never where it needed to be on the roster. I think that just he's just not brought in good enough players regardless of whether or not they've stuck around. Yeah, and I think more my point was there's no need for there to be nine new players in year five. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. It, 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 because the argument we always heard, and I appreciate all the questions, and we're going to get to them in a minute, and we're going to talk some football, and this is probably going to go longer than usual. But it, the argument at the time they took Christian Guess was, well, that's fine. We got a spot. Why not? And then the next year, the argument when they took Axel Okongo was, that's fine, we got a spot, why not? And they took Ed Chang. Well, that's fine, we got... Well, all those spots add up. And so, what if yes. way back when you took Christian Guess, you took a guy who was, like, kind of Javon Pickett-like, right? Where in year three, all of a sudden, you're looking at a guy that's a top-four player on the roster. And then what if when you took Axel Okongo, you took a Juco kid, or who actually was capable of contributing and so those things all add up over the course of time and the result is you have nine new players and I I think and this is what drove me nuts in the offseason was everybody said you know everybody panicked and said all these guys are leaving we got all these open spots and then everybody swung completely the other way when he got transfers to fill those spots well he was always going to get bodies but while the SEC was busy loading up on high major transfers they got one guy from a bad power 5 school and three mid major players like there has to be some the backbone of this program always has to be three and four year guys but you're not winning anything that matters without top 100 talent. And there is no top 100 talent on this team.
Yep, absolutely. That that's just the issue, and uh, you know that's not why they lost UMKC. I'm not trying to say like the, the, the talent on the roster right now should have been able to beat UMKC, but yeah, the reason that you know we're we're talking we're not talking about more better you know possibilities for this team in year five is is because of the talent or lack thereof that's been been brought in over the past four recruiting classes. No question about it. Um, no, no question also about the talent at five seven three T's, which we need to remind you of before we move on to all of your all's questions. Uh, five seven three T's dot com. Five seven three T's downtown in Alley A in Columbia, Missouri. You guys can check out all kinds of stuff. Great Mizzou gear. They've got some PowerMizzou.com stuff. We would be very happy if you guys would purchase some of that. We give uh, we give a shirt away uh, during the week for our predictions contest but they do also have that online at 573t's.com slash collections slash power mizzou so hope you check that out there and they make this show possible every week and and we are going to continue this show throughout basketball season and and all that um every single wednesday and uh want to real quick before we get to your questions and talk to some foot talk some football want to say if you are here uh please hit the like button subscribe to the channel all that uh make your comments and and ask your questions in the uh in the queue there we're about to get to those if you're listening on the podcast which i will put up momentarily after this leave us a nice review say excellent things about the way we dress and how wonderful our voices are and all the information we bring all those things um so let's get to the questions and We'll start. Uh, Will Garrett says, is the Trevon Brazil situation something you all know and can't say, or is it a true mystery? I Look, I, I will just say it is a medical situation. Medical situations can't really be talked about. Um, that's all the team can say. That's all we can say. If Trevon Brazil at some point wants to come out and tell everybody what, what is going on, he can. But until then, nobody really can. And, like, we don't need to know more than that. I, I Like, I don't mean to be disrespectful of the question, um, but we don't deserve to or need to know any more than that. And, and when more can be known, we certainly will will pass it on, but that's where that stands. So uh, Zach says on the off chance that Conzo Martin lands Mark Mitchell, how big of a wrench does that throw in the demands to fire him? Um, well, I don't know, Mitch. I think we can basically ignore the second part of that question because I see no world in which the first part of that question has happened. Yeah, it doesn't seem as though Mark Mitchell's going to end up at Mizzou. You know, Mizzou's, Mizzou's done a decent job, I guess, by, you know, getting his interest and making his top three, but that doesn't really matter if you don't land him, and it sounds to me like he's probably headed to UCLA. So, um, I don't know. I mean, really, I don't think it would change that much. Maybe a few people would be like, oh, okay, maybe we'll wait. But I, I really think that most of the people who are calling for him to be fired right this second, you know, after two games into his fifth season, are have made up their mind. I think they're they're done. And, uh, yeah, as I was rolling through what I thought were a bunch of questions, um, it's mostly not questions, which is fine. Like, don't get me wrong. But it, as we said, we can't just sit here and debate with every every commenter about what Conzo is terrible at and if he should be fired and, and all that. Um, it, it, and we appreciate the comments and the interaction. I'm not trying to uh, trying to dismiss those. Um, let's see if we get to – any actual questions? Um, okay, let's see. Brett Stevens says, Conzo's recruiting strategy with high school kids the past few years has made no sense. It's like he goes after two to top, 
two to three top 100 kids and then has absolutely no backup plan and ends up with Okongo and Guess and Wilmore. And I don't really know that I can refute that, honestly. I, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. There's been times I've been fairly puzzled by the staff's recruiting efforts. Um, you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's been a few, you know, guys they've, they've gotten after and they've gotten close on quite a few guys in state, but like I said, it doesn't really matter if you finish second or 129th in, in the race for a kid. If you don't get him, you don't get him. Um, and yeah, like it, it has been a little weird. They've seems like, you know, several times and we've seen them go from, you know, uh, really putting all the eggs into the EJ Liddell basket or the Cameron Fletcher basket or the Caleb Love basket or whatever, what have you. And then coming away with, uh, yeah, with someone who no one's ever heard of. There's not a lot in between there. So I want to finish up the basketball stuff and kind of building off some of the comments that, that I'm seeing. Um, I want to finish up the basketball stuff with this. And I think this actually is a worthwhile discussion because I think it's fair to say, Mitch, we're from two different generations, right? Um, you know, I like the number two reason I went to school at the University of Missouri was so I could watch basketball games. Like they were, when I grew up, a top 15 program in America. Um, they, they didn't go to the Final Four, and everybody knows that, but between the time I was five years old and the time I was a senior in high school, they won, I want to say, six or seven Big Eight titles, and they were generally regarded as the best program in America who had not gone to a Final Four. Um, it's been a long time since that's true. that was true. I made a... Uh, a an analogy to some friends of mine. I don't know if we're there yet, but we're getting close to the point where Missouri basketball fans are Tennessee football fans in that you're talking about this thing that existed at one time, but really it hasn't existed for so long that maybe it's your problem for thinking it should exist than their problem for it not existing. Right. Yeah. And, and the problem, too, is, I mean, it's not like Mizzou basketball was at the level of Tennessee football or Nebraska football. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, a perennial national title contender winning national titles. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can I, I agree. Um, you know, in my lifetime, they've had a couple nice seasons, but it's like always been every now and again, like, oh, look, Mizzou's East. And I mean, like I came to Columbia in uh fall of 2013 uh, to start college and have mostly been around ever since. And they've had I mean, they, they, they've really they've had, you know, the, the 2017 year and last year, the only two tournament appearances and really the only two teams that were even somewhat compelling. And I mean, last year, you could argue wasn't even that compelling. <laughs> it was for a little bit. But so, yeah, it's like, you know, at a certain point, you know, yeah, I, I don't really know how you recapture that or if you need to recalibrate your expectations or what. And, and I really I don't know that the majority of fan bases expectations is that out of whack. Um, you know, I, I think that if you came into this season before and especially before Monday night and had made up your mind that Conso deserved to be fired or something like that, that's probably was unrealistic because, you know, coming inheriting what he inherited and going to two NCAA tournaments in four years was, was I thought a pretty good job at what you hired him to do. But I don't know, like certainly not getting mad about losing UMKC is fair. I mean, that's that's not like you have unrealistic expectations, you know, wanting to be able to to recruit better and have more players to get excited about. Like, that's not unrealistic. So, like, I don't know. It, it definitely is not is not at the point that it once was as a program. But I don't know that expectations are at that point either. So 
this is this will help us kind of transition to talking about football, which we obviously want to do to finish this up. So I don't know if this makes sense or not, but um, in talking to a couple people this week, you know, again, when I grew up, like Missouri football was trash. Like it was something that I don't know. That'd be cool if they won four games, right? As long as one of those is against KU. That was what I grew up with. And you just look forward to November 1st because it meant basketball season was starting and all that. People who are, I, I would say, 30, even 35, grew up with Gary Pinkle and Jeremy Macklin and Chase Daniel, and it doesn't make any logical sense that you can't be good at both at the same time. But also, there's a limited amount of attention and dollars and investment to go around. And the truth is, outside of a year or two, Missouri has never actually been good at both at the same time. So, it, whereas my generation grew up looking forward to basketball and football was just a thing, the the newer generations, my kids' generation, your generation, even people a few years older, are people who grew up going, okay, everything I've got is going into Missouri football season. And then basketball is kind of this nice thing that happens after that to distract me until football starts again. And again, I know it doesn't make logical sense to say, did Missouri's rise in football hurt basketball? But at the same time, it's kind of undeniable that they've never been good at the same time at both. Yeah, it is weird. And you, you do tend to see that. You know, a lot of places talk about the, you know, the football school versus the basketball school. I mean, Missouri, Missouri fans talk about that all the time. Like, why can't you just be a, a good school? Why can't you be good at all the sports or multiple at a time? But yeah, it is a thing. And partially because, yeah, I think that, you know, when you have a good football team, basketball is not going to get attention until, you know, December, mid-December and at the earliest. And, and even then it's like, you know, uh, well, then spring football starting up, football recruiting, all this. I mean, football can, it, when a football program is rolling, it can easily carry the news cycle for a full year. Especially so, in this uh, conference. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, the, definitely I think that has something to do with it. Um, you know, the, the fan engagement and support being more diverted towards football. But I also think that Missouri fans have shown, like, if you build a solid program and give them reason for excitement, they'll come be excited about basketball. And so like, it's the, it's the same classic chicken and egg question we have all the time. Like does fan support and financial commitment come first or does winning come first? Like, I don't know, but you gotta have, I mean, you know, it's hard to have one without the other. I honestly think if basketball is there and good, Missouri fans will buy in. But if given a choice, this is a football school. And actually, if given a choice, I think 95% of schools are football schools, to be oh, honest. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, there's you got Kansas, Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Indiana, um, Louisville, probably, that would prefer to be a basketball school. But that's about it. And I'm not even sure, like, you were in Louisville during the Lamar Jackson era. Maybe they'd rather be a football school. Maybe there aren't that many that would rather be a basketball school. Yeah, I mean, football gets gets just as much as attention. I mean, basketball, you know, there's a special kind of passion about it, given the rivalry with Kentucky and just kind of the importance there. But yeah, I mean, fo- I mean, you know, you're you're still only putting twenty one thousand people in those basketball games. You're putting seventy in the football games. Like it's it's a it's, it was a plenty big deal when they're rolling in both. Yeah. So you want to transition to to football, and really, it's. The main thing is this, and Zane asks, who do you think will start at quarterback this weekend against Florida? And I think it's fair to say, and like truly, at this time last week, I kind of had an idea it would probably be Connor Bazelak. 
I don't have any idea who it will be this week. I think it will be Connor Bazelak or Brady Cook, but I, I truly, if you're saying lean one way or the other, I'm not sure. Yeah, I agree. I could kind of talk myself into both. Like, you know, on one hand, you brought this up on Monday. Like, I kind of thought if Connor Bazelak was going to be the guy Drinkwitz needed to come out Monday and just kind of lay no doubt about it. But also at the same time, like, I think it's fair to say, like, he might not have known and he might want to see what both does in practice. And like, Connor could still be the better player in practice. I mean, it seems as though he's been the better player in practice all year because that would seem like the reason why they keep throwing him out there. So I don't know. But also, like, you know, it's hard for me to imagine, in a sense, going back to to him after you know we saw him get pulled on Saturday. So I, I really, I, I again, I can talk myself either way. I think it's kind of a coin flip between those two guys at this point. And look, practice matters. I get it. It matters to every coach. But at some point, man, like. I've seen Saturdays, and you can't just yeah. ignore that because, you know, and, and kind of tying it back to, to basketball a little bit, Conzo told us last week, I think this is a really good shooting team. Like, I think it's possible it's a really good shooting team in practice, and then they get in games and they don't shoot as well. I believe that Monday through Friday, Connor Bazelak is head and shoulders above everybody else. But what I've seen on Saturday in the last month leads me to think, like, I'm really not sure he's head and shoulders above anybody right now. Um, I will say this. If he starts Connor Bazelak on Saturday, and if he does, he does. I like I I think it needs to be said. We don't have a dog in this fight. I don't care who starts at quarterback. We're covering the game regardless. They can start Tommy Locke for all I care. You know, it's fine. I mean, they will lose if they do that. And no disrespect to Tommy. I'm sure he's a wonderful kid. But um but uh, point being, like, this is not from an emotional standpoint or anything, but the fan base will riot if he starts Connor Bazelak on Saturday. And especially if he doesn't play well. And it really, it's if he doesn't play great, because, yeah. We've because got because he like- wasn't awful last week on... 90% of his plays, but then the other 10% were so awful that it overrode the 90%. Right. But yeah, even if he played, like, say he had the exact same game he get, did against South Carolina this week against Florida, minus the two picks, I think the reaction would actually be about the same. Like, because people have made up their mind. No, we're done with Connor Baselak. And like, I, I don't, again, I I sort of get it. Like, I mean, mainly because those two plays did happen. Those were very, very bad interceptions. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to see, interested to talk to those two guys this afternoon and uh, we'll see what happens. But it is it is intriguing to uh, kind of have no idea who the quarterback's going to be. And therefore, you know, makes it harder to have any idea what to expect from this game that I already didn't have any what to expect because I don't know what Florida team's going to show up. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the one thing that is that I, again, we have to say, this is not from a partisan emotional standpoint. Tyler Macon's not going to play this week. Like, I, I look, I'm not going to say it's impossible that he gets a snap in a situation, right? Although I'm not sure you play him in his fourth game. But, like, Every indication we have, despite what somebody may want and what how star-blinded they may be or how much they may think he have the, has the greatest upside or the greatest ceiling, right now, this is about getting Missouri to a bowl game. And we are not telling you what we want to see. We're telling you what we hear and observe. And it's going to be either Cook or Basilac. Yeah. And I think Drinkwitz 
you know, is maybe being a little, you know, cautious of perception and doing a little gamesmanship. And he's mentioned a couple times this week that, you know, it's not necessarily just between two guys, but like, I don't know. Yeah, we didn't see a lot of practice yesterday. We saw enough to see that two quarterbacks were rotating reps and the rest were just kind of behind them. And those two quarterbacks were Connor Basilek and Brady Cook. And then this morning on the SEC teleconference, it was like, and I think both guys are help handling it really well. Uh, I mean, all three. So, like, I don't know. Like, it, it just, but from what we hear and those public things, like, I just, I, I'm just, t- yeah, we're just telling you that. Macon's just in the opinion of the coaching staff, not there yet. And I don't think if you think he's going to start this week, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. So we won't spend a ton of time of this on this, but you mentioned it a little bit. And I was intrigued on Tuesday when Eli Drinkwitz said like, Florida's not where they want to be. And you watch them on film and it's really hard to figure out why. And that like, that could be taken as a shot. I don't think he meant it that way. It's just, it doesn't make sense that the same team that, if they had 10 more minutes, probably beats Alabama six weeks ago, is now getting blown out by South Carolina and giving up 52 points to Samford. Like, to me, Saturday is way more about Florida than Missouri. If Florida shows up and cares and, like, tries... Missouri's not going to beat them. And I don't, that sounds bad. Like they have to do more than just try. But if good Florida shows up suddenly, Missouri's not going to win that game. This game, from Missouri's standpoint, is almost entirely predicated on I sure hope Florida has given up as much as it kind of looks like they've given up. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's mostly if Florida executes, Florida's going to win because Florida has the talent. And, you know, yeah, if they if they come out and take care of the ball and their defense plays with effort and, you know, doesn't screw up royally like they did last week. Yeah, I think Missouri's probably in trouble because, I, you know, as good as as much better as Missouri's defense has looked the past couple of weeks, like Florida is like kind of the, you know, is is like built to be a problem for Missouri's defense. It's got running quarterbacks, which Missouri has struggled with. It has a good quarterback and the type of receivers who can make plays like Georgia, where if you sell out to stop the run, then say beat us through the air, they'll say, okay, we can do that. So like, it could be a problem for Missouri, but at the same time, like I really, you, you definitely can't just bank on Florida getting its act together at this point, because we've seen just this slowly escalating disaster. I mean, like they went from, you know, losing to, I think it was what Kentucky first. And then uh, I'm going to get this in the wrong order, but like Kentucky first is like, okay, that wasn't great. LSU is like, ah, that was pretty bad. But you know, LSU has talent to like, you know, it all went bad South in a hurry against Georgia. And then it was like, you know, the, the recruiting stuff off the field and the Mullen stuff. And then it was like, South Carolina was like, you know, four alarm fire. And then the first half against Sanford was like a hundred alarm fire. So I don't know, like, like, does it keep going that way? Do they say like, Oh my gosh, our coach might get fired. Maybe we should try harder. I have no idea. I mean, all I can say is from my personal standpoint, if I played for Dan Mullen and I heard he might get fired, I'd be like, sweet, what do I got to do to make that happen? Because he is not a likable I mean, man. but you probably wouldn't play for him in that scenario. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have committed to him to begin with, to be honest. But um, So I want to end it kind of with this. Uh, Kyle asks, what's your over-under on Tyler Beatty touches this week? And uh, like, I want to 
kind of branch off that a little bit. So Drinkwood said on Tuesday, somebody he was asked how valuable Tyler Beatty was, and he said it's he's five wins valuable. And then he kind of like backed off that to say it's not all Tyler. He's not worth all of it. Blah blah blah. Like, what's Missouri's record if Tyler Beatty isn't on this team? Um, I don't. He, they have somewhere between one and three wins, I'd say, and three might be generous. Um, they they beat Semo without him. I think they probably could beat North Texas without him. That that game, you know, it got a little close at the end, and he was good, but they they could probably pull it out. Other than that, I'm not really sure. Maybe they could beat Central Michigan without him. Maybe they could beat South Carolina without him, but I I would say probably not. I think I would go with two wins without him. Yeah, that's what I would I would have come down at two and eight. Um, and again, like I've said a number of times this year, there are probably better football players in America, but there cannot possibly be more valuable football players in America. I mean, he I, I think he might be the only guy in the country who is legitimately worth three wins to his team. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, what, fourth in the country in scrimmage yards. He, I, I need to look up where he ranks in total touches because he's got to be up there. Leads the team in both, obviously, rushing and receptions. It's it's crazy. Uh, you know, yeah, really incredible for a guy who we came into this season saying, I don't know if he can carry the load without Roundtree. Elisha Young might end up getting getting more touches than him. Yeah, so people are asking how many touches is he going to get. I mean, he's averaging exactly 25 a game. He has 250 touches in – 10 games so which is it's funny coming into this year Larry Roundtree averaged 22 and the coaches said Beatty will get most of those 22 but they were very clear at the beginning of the season he's not going to get all 22 like he's not going to touch the ball 22 times a game it's 25 um if Missouri's going to win I think he touches the ball more than 25 times yeah, and not even win. I think if Missouri's competitive, he touches the ball more than 25 times because that would mean, obviously, they don't. I, I mean, really, the, the scenarios in which they don't, he doesn't touch the ball that much are the game gets out of hand and they pull him, like the Georgia game, or like Mizzou's offense is just kind of inept and doesn't run a lot of plays because Georgia's able to control, or I mean, sorry, Florida's able to control time of possession and, you know, Mizzou goes three and out every other possession, like both of which are not good things for Missouri. So, yeah, I think if it's a competitive game, he's getting more than 25. Well, you forgot the Connor Bazelak throws six touchdowns of 50 yards or more scenarios, so. That seems unlikely, given what I've watched from Connor Baselock this season. But also, he's probably better than the Samford quarterback, so it's not impossible. Fair point. All right. So, uh, yeah, we got got media day this afternoon. We'll talk to, I don't know, Brady Cook and Connor Baselock. And there were other offensive players mentioned. I don't honestly know who they were because as soon as I saw Brady Cook and Connor Baselock, I said, oh, my God, we get to talk to two quarterbacks. Where am I? It can't be Columbia, Missouri, but um, – We'll have that, and uh, I don't know. We'll talk to you then, Mitch. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, Mitchell Forty joining us, and appreciate that. We're going to let him go, and appreciate all you guys hanging out with us here on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, went a little bit longer than usual. Thanks to everybody who was watching live. I would ask you before you leave to hit the like button on the show, hit the subscribe button on the channel. If you're listening on the podcast, which I will post here momentarily, please leave us some kind comments. We always appreciate those. They're much more... Um, nice to read than the negative comments. So we would ask you to do that. And one more time before we do close things out when a little longer than usual, want to remind you guys, please support the wonderful people over at 573Ts, 573Tees.com, uh, downtown Columbia between 9th and 10th Street in Alley A. 
Uh, phenomenal local company. They have been kind enough to be partners of ours for about a year and a half now, I want to say. Uh, did things with us all through COVID and, and all throughout this year. And we uh, have appreciated our partnership with them and certainly want to ask you guys, hey, you all buy Mizzou stuff, right? You all buy, everybody wears a t-shirt. So go to 573Ts to get it. Um, you know, don't support one of these big national chains, you know, uh, one of these big sporting goods stores, like go to five, seven, three T's. You're helping out a small business, somebody who does a lot of good things in Columbia. They do NIL stuff with Mizzou players, uh, and they support power So if you need a shirt, go check them out. They got hats, visors, all that. Um, five, seven, three T's. 573-T-E-E-S.com. Check them out. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. A little longer show than usual. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow previewing Florida. We'll have some picks on Friday. And then uh, Mizzou and the Gators on Saturday afternoon. We'll have live pregame and postgame. So we'll talk to you all another day.